have a bit of a confession to share with you, and, and or at least a story of interest, maybe. I don't know. I worked hard to prepare this sermon, and I had the guts and the, and the whole totality of it by Friday. I was feeling exhilarated that Saturday's work would be light, and then the spirit moved. And so what started out on Friday is nothing what ended up last night, early into the mornings. So I, I want to beg your tolerance with me as I go through this. And... Um, Listen to what God has for me to speak this morning. Will you pray with me? Gracious and holy God, we enter into your precious presence among us. Leaving at the door all that we care for in the world so that we may enter into your presence with our whole hearts and our whole beings. May the meditations of our hearts and minds and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your word. For you are our strength and our redeemer. Amen. So this last week, uh, um, yeah, I guess it was maybe the week before, I took my father back to the doctor for a follow-up appointment after his surgery over the Christmas break. And uh, I saw on the wall of the doctor's office the golden rule. You know, the one that says, do unto others that which you would have them do unto you. And then right below it, it said, the platinum rule. And I said, okay. And it says that we should do unto others the way that they want us to do to them. Not as we would have them do to us, but as they desire. It is as if we need to treat them the way that they need to be treated. So I decided to do some research. Where did this platinum rule come to? It was kind of a new idea to me. And so as I researched, I found that there was a Dr. Tony Alessandra who coined that phrase uh, just in the recent probably 25 years, as, and he uses it in the art of negotiation skills. And then further digging in, I found there was a whole lot more of this Dale Carnegie kind of way to work in the business world. And, the, and these same rules pop up, the diamond rule, the titanium rule. They're all based off of this ancient rule of thousands of years ago. It's called the silver rule. When Jesus walked the earth, there was one called the silver rule, and it was stated kind of the reverse of what Jesus states in the golden rule. It says, do not do to others what you would not want done to you. A contemporary of Jesus's, I learned further, uh, Seneca, which was a Roman philosopher, uh, put it this way, expect from another what you would have done to another, okay? So however we frame this rule in our lives, however we call it, each statement has something to say with the way we interact with one another. And Jesus has something essential to say about how we get along with one another, and it is born out of this essence of our relationship with God. We're in our fourth week of Grounded in Prayer, where we're taking a, a deep look into the Lord's Prayer. And to this date, we have taken a look at the opening lines, and we've learned that God is a holy God. 
one who is worthy of our praise. We have learned that God's kingdom is a condition of our hearts rather than a physical place, a, a, a condition where we encounter God's will with holy humility. And then we learn that God is the kind of God who cares about our every single daily need in this present reality, not just our needs in a future reality. So today we're going to struggle with one of the toughest single commands that we get as Christians. This is the command to forgive. It's a tough one. This line of the prayer says, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, that first part, forgive us our trespasses, is hard for those of us who sometimes feel unworthy. Unworthy of God's forgiveness or unworthy of forgiveness of others. But intellectually, we know that there's this biblical rich narrative that tells the story of this forgiving God who continues to forgive individuals when they turn away. The God that forgives in entire nations who have turned away. The God who forgives all of humankind who has turned away and seeks to reconcile all of us at great cost to God. But we also learn that God forgives differently than we do. Corey Ten Boom, some of you may remember, was a survivor of World War II Nazi concentration camps. She was actually a Christian, and she was uh, arrested after she was found harboring a Jewish woman in her house, protecting her. As she reflects back on all the atrocities that happened in her experience in that concentration camp, she calls the way God forgives this divine amnesia. She says that it is like this. God takes our unfaithfulness, all of our sins, and casts them into a sea of forgetfulness, and then God puts up a sign on the shore that says, no fishing. God throws them out into the sea and then doesn't recover them again. God forgives completely because God re releases all knowledge of our sin, completely. That's how God forgives. Hmm. The second half of this prayer asks us to do what seems like the impossible. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. I can't tell you how often I've had someone show up in my office talking about the need to forgive and not wanting to forgive, but knowing so much that they needed to give. In Luke's Sermon on the Plain, Jesus lays out the kind of Christian attitude and behavior which addresses this radical kind of forgiveness, this kind that forgives completely, throws it into the sea, and puts up a no-fishing sign. Let's read this passage that Jesus challenges us, those of us who are the most sensitive and the most resistant towards this kind of forgiveness. I'm reading from Luke 6. I'm picking up at verse 27 through 36. Listen now to what the evangelist Luke has to say through the mouth of Jesus. But I say to you that listen, 
Love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you and pray for those who abuse you. If anyone strikes you on a cheek, offer the other one also. And if anyone who takes away your coat, do not withhold even your shirt. Give to anyone who begs from you. And if anyone takes away your goods, do not ask for them again. Do to others as you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love you. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what credit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from whom you hope to receive, what credit is it to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to receive as much again. But love your enemies, do good, and lend, expecting nothing in return. Your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. Be merciful, just as your Father is merciful. This is the word of God for the people of God. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, who abuse you, who take advantage of you. I have to tell you, as a human being, that is really hard to do. It is probably the most difficult thing we do, even in our most charitable moments. Even as we gather as a community of believers in this sacred space and we offer up our pastoral prayers in the morning, we do not want to hear how we should forgive those who have harmed us. I recall as I was learning how to be a pastor and I was in my internship in a, in a church in Carrollton, it was the Sunday after the shooting in Denver in the theater. And so when I prayed that morning, I prayed not only for the families who had lost loved ones in that tragedy, but I also prayed for the shooter. I have to tell you, my inbox was filled with all kinds of opinions on Monday morning from folks who were simply uncomfortable with my prayer. We are just not comfortable praying for those who commit atrocities against us, especially when it seems so personal, when it's next door, when it attacks our neighbors, or when it lives in the same household as we do. And so Jesus gives us this amazing command to love our enemies and to do unto others that which we would have do, done unto us. In that first century pop culture, when Seneca was saying that we should expect from another what we have done to them, he sees it the way the world sees it, the way we experience it in our own lives. If we're good to another, we expect goodness in return. If someone wrongs us, it will be, if we wrong someone, we expect that somehow that will come back to us. 
it sounds pretty equitable in the way that we get along with the world, and that's how the world experience, uh, ex teaches it to us. We're often heard it this way, what we sow, we reap. But Jesus teaches it differently. He says, if we live like this, if we love those who love us, if we do good to those who receive good from them and we lend only to receive in return, then we're no better than any sinner around, Jesus says. Instead, Jesus says, do all these things and don't expect anything in return. Now, I have to tell you, I feel a little bit like Paul when he says to the Roman church, we are all sinners and we all fall short of the glory of God. And I find myself saying, but God, I am an imperfect human. And Jesus says, to do to others means that you have to love your enemies. So I began to unpack that. Jesus for Jesus, love is an action word. It's not an emotion word. Our feelings have no bearing on the, our capacity to express love in these circumstances. Now here's the caveat, friends. This does not mean that you should to stick around and take abuse day after day. It doesn't mean that you need to take on positive feelings towards your enemies. But what it does say is that loving of enemy is an action of forgiveness. A love of enemy means that we are acting towards the possibility that your enemy's life can be conformed to the goodness that God has in store for all people. This forgiveness is our action. And it is not dependent upon the action of another. And the healing is ours to experience. Though by God's grace, it can be transformative and move God's healing into other realms as well. Loving and praying is about turning what could continue to destroy people and communities into actions which have the potential to move us beyond what we can even imagine. So I want to go back to Corey Tinboom now. When, when she was an old woman and she was reflecting back on her life, she was sharing what she had learned about God's forgiveness, about how God throws it into the sea of forgetfulness and then never picks it back up. After she spoke one day, there was a man in a brown overcoat who came up to her. And as soon as he spoke to her and said, that was interesting information, Fräulein, all kinds of memories came back to her. The man was not in a brown coat. He was wearing a soldier's uniform. And she recognized the face. The first face she saw after she was stripped naked and forced to walk through the halls of the concentration camp. And there he stood. And he went on and he said, Fräulein, since those days I have become a Christian. And I know that God has forgiven me, but will you forgive me? Corey says, 
Man, that was difficult. She said, I knew that there was, there was so many reasons why I didn't have to forgive him. My sister died in that same concentration camp. But she also knew that forgiveness is not an emotion. She knew that forgiveness is an act of will, and the will can function regardless of the temperature of our heart. And so with everything she had, she reached out her hand to shake his hand. And in that touch, she said she physically felt something in her body. And she said, truthfully and with all that she had, yes, I forgive you. And healing within her own body came to be. Now, Corey had to work hard to forgive all kinds of people in her life, including some friends who had let her down when the, the, the temperature got hot in their community and they knew she was harboring someone. And as she shared those stories, a mentor of hers once asked, have they accepted your forgiveness? And she says, no, they don't think there's anything to forgive. But they deny it ever happened, but I know it happened. I have it written right down here. And she went to a drawer, and she pulled out the drawer, and she reached in, and she got her journals, and she says, see, I wrote it down in black and white. Her mentor silently took her book, put it back in the drawer, and closed it and took her arm. And he said, oh, Cor Corey, aren't you the one whose sins are at the bottom of the sea, and yet the sins of your friends are etched in black and white. We're all imperfect. We're all imperfect people. We all love and forgive imperfectly. But God's perfect forgiveness in Christ is how imperfect people recognize and experience an amazing grace that God alone can offer. And it is also how these imperfect people like you and me are able to do incredibly difficult things like love our enemies and forgive those who have trespassed against us. So here's our homework this week. When you go to the Lord in prayer and you offer up the Lord's Prayer, kneel, kneel in body or spirit, and bring before God those for whom you harbor unforgiveness. And pray this line. Pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Pray it again and again and again until you believe it and then pray it again because you believe it. Will you pray this prayer with me this morning? Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.